BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. From the eternal city, Roma. Oh, goodness. It's morning time. I'm having trouble trilling my R's. I'll start again. From the eternal city, Roma. This is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist and paisano, Michael... Ian Black, getting ready to wrap up Wuthering Heights. It probably won't be this episode. It'll probably be the next, or maybe even the one after that. I don't know. It depends on how much I read today. Uh, I've left the window open here in my appartamento. I don't know how you say apartment in Italian. The, the, uh, the window's open a little, so if you hear background noises, you hear you know, people on the street going, oh, mamma mia, you know, that, I just thought that'll, that'll add to the ambiance of the whole environment. I, uh, I think last time I said my hadn't been feeling hungry. My mood had improved, but I hadn't been feeling hungry. Well, that's changed somewhat. I, 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 uh, my ghrelin has returned. I now have an appetite, which is obviously good news. Um, well, it can be anyway. I mean, the bad news is I'm in Italy with an appetite, you know, and got to keep an eye on that because next thing you know, you're sitting there in some uh, trattoria downing plate after plate of cacio e pepe and wondering, my God, what are you doing out there? Oh, that was a military jet that just flew over. Every once in a while, you see these Italian, you know, military jets just kind of zoom over the place. I don't know what kind of what kind of jet they have there. We were walking by the gardens of, uh, ah, gee, some, some, you know, uh, the Borgia, that family, they got these big gardens, and at the base of the thing, they were celebrating a hundred years or something of Italian aviation, and they had like a typhoon jet on display there, people were lining up to go sit in the cockpit of the typhoon jet, it had a big Italian flag painted on the, on the tail, so maybe it's a typhoon jet, I don't know, but uh, just passed over. Yeah, about once a day, maybe, you hear one of those typhoon jets come screaming over the capital city. And uh, why wouldn't it? You know, it's the capital. you got to fly jets over the capital, or else what's the point of having a jet? But you can't be sitting there in a trattoria eating plate after plate of cacio e pepe and not expect, uh, not expect things to get dire with your gastrointestinal system. So I, although my appetite has returned, I'm trying to keep somewhat 
you know, some restraint in terms of how much I am, I am consuming every day. That being said, we're walking like crazy. My God, every day it's, uh, you know, three, four miles of walking around the Eternal City, looking at the sites, looking at the people, going to various shops, doing various things, you know, just to walk. We, we live in this uh, area called the Giastevere, Giastevere, Giastevere. I always get the accent wrong on that. Giastevere area. Right on the outskirts of it. So if you want to walk to a decent restaurant, and there's a ton of them, you know, in Rome, but if you want to walk to one, you got it's usually like a 10 or 15 minute walk. So to get there and back, I mean, that's a mile, you know, maybe a little bit more. Uh, so we're doing a lot of walking. The chief frustration I have found during my time in Rome to this point is that my daily routine mandates that I work every day. Now, you may say, but Michael, you, you haven't had a job in years. Nobody wants to hire you. You're unemployable. And all of that is true. And yet, I persist. So, you know, I write. and uh, But I, I haven't found a good place to write yet. That has been the chief frustration during my time in Rome. Yesterday, we went to the Soho House which is uh, about two miles away, two and a half miles away, which doesn't sound like very much. But when you try to get there, you know, you could walk for an hour, you could take a bus for 40 minutes. Um, I was thinking about getting on one of those electric scooters and seeing how that works, you know, joining one of those electric scooter programs they have all over the world. I was thinking about trying that. But the Soho House has a, has a fine facility for non-members. You can, you can do this thing called uh, Soho Friends. You can join that and then you're allowed to use their sort of substandard facilities on the ground floor. You're not allowed up into the real club, which costs more money. But I did apply for membership, but I might remove that application because I don't see any real need for it um, at this point. Anyhow, that's boring. I'm boring myself even talking about it. But I'm just giving you, you know, quick update as to what is going on with me here in Rome. Back in America at Wuthering Heights, we're kind of getting this extended denouement of what happened to the, to the fortunes of the various people that Lockwood left behind several months before. And to my surprise, everything seems to be coming up roses for Kathy Jr., for Hareton, for Mrs. Dean. Heathcliff is dead, although we haven't quite uh, come to the terms of his death. We don't know how it happened yet, but I imagine we're getting there. But Kathy Jr. and Hareton have engaged in some romance, and we're hearing from Mrs. Dean the particulars about how that came to pass. Last time, Kathy Jr. was sort of leaving little treats out for Hareton in the way of uh, literature. She was trying to woo him with literature, or at least, we don't know that she's trying to woo him at this point, but at least to warm uh, the cockles of his heart. The cockles which she herself, along with Heathcliff, had placed there. And now she's trying to remedy the situation. So when we last left it, she was sort of leaving books out. She would read a little bit to Mrs. Dean. She would end on an interesting part. She would, she would close the book and she would walk out, encouraging Hareton to pick up the book and uh, continuing to further his studies. Hareton does not take the bait because he, he has, he, you know, he's Charlie Brown, she's Lucy, 
and he knows better. So we'll see how that situation resolved. Kathy Jr., when we last left her, said she was tired of living. Her life was useless sentiment. I can certainly understand, but we know in her case, things get better. In my case, things have gotten better too, because I now enjoy that Caccio e Pepe. So let's pick it up again. I believe we're in chapter 33, but let me just confirm that. Let us pick it up again with chapter 32 here at Wuthering Heights. And this is Mrs. Dean talking. Mr. Heathcliff, who grew more and more disinclined to society, had almost banished Earnshaw out of his apartment. Owing to an accident at the commencement of March, he became for some days a fixture in the kitchen. His gun burst while out on the hills by himself. A splinter cut his arm, and he lost a good deal of blood before he could reach home. The consequence was that perforce he was condemned to the fireside in tranquility till he made it up again. Who? Was it Heathcliff or Earnshaw who, whose gun burst? A little unclear. It suited Catherine to have him there. At any rate, it made her hate her room upstairs more than ever, and she would compel me to find out business below that she might accompany me. So it's got to be Earnshaw who burst his gun. I'm not sure what bursting a gun means. In my head, you pull the trigger and the thing kind of explodes like in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. That's probably not what it means. On Easter Monday, Joseph went to Gimmerton Fair with some cattle, and in the afternoon, I was busy getting up linen in the kitchen. Earnshaw sat, morose as usual, at the chimney corner, and my little mistress was beguiling an idle hour with drawing pictures on the window panes, varying her amusement by smothered bursts of songs and whispered ejaculations and quick glances of annoyance and impatience in the direction of her cousin, who steadfastly smoked and looked into the grate. At a notice that I could do with her no longer, intercepting my light, she removed to the hearthstone. I, re- I read that poorly, but she's been, yeah, I can't see because you're in the way, stupid. That's what that means. I bestowed little attention on her proceedings, but presently I heard her begin. I found out, Hareton, that I want, that I'm glad that I should like you to be my cousin now if you had not grown so cross to me and so rough. Hareton refused, no, returned no answer. Hareton, 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 do you hear? She continued, get off with ye. He growled with uncompromising gruffness. Let me take that pipe, she said, cautiously advancing her hand and abstracting it from his mouth. Before he could attempt to recover it, it was broken and behind the fire. He swore at her and seized another. Stop, she cried. You must listen to me first, and I can't speak while those clouds are floating in my face. Will you go to the devil? he exclaimed ferociously, and let me be. No, she persisted, I won't. I can't tell what to do to make you talk to me, and you are determined not to understand. When I call you stupid, I don't mean anything. I I don't mean that I despise you. Come, you shall take notice of me, Hareton. You are my cousin, and you shall 
own me. Interesting. What? Okay, so first of all, you know, despite her protestations, when you call someone stupid, it does mean something. It means that they're stupid and you think less of them than you think of yourself. Uh, you're putting them down. When I call you stupid, I don't mean anything? Well, what the hell? Come on, Kathy, you're better than this. At least own your mistakes and apologize. That would be a good first step. Recognize that you have done wrong, admit your fault, apologize, and then start a basis for reconciliation. But don't just brush off the fact that you've done nothing but demean him since the moment he came into your life. And then, to say you are my cousin and you shall own me, I don't know what that means. You shall own me. You shall own me. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of got a little bit of a BDSM vibe to it, does it not? I don't think that was her intention at all, but it's a curious phrase to me for somebody who does not care for you at all. You shall own me. I shall have naught to do with you and your mocky pride and your damned mocking tricks. He answered, I'll go to hell body and soul before I look sideways after you again. Side out to gate now this minute. Catherine frowned and retreated to the window seat, chewing her lip and endeavoring, by humming an eccentric tune, to conceal a growing tendency to sob. You should be friends with your cousin, Mr. Hareton, I interrupted. Since she repents of her sauciness, it would do you a great deal of good. It would make you another man to have her for a companion. A companion, he cried, when she hates me and does not think me fit to wipe her shoon. Nay, if it made me a king, I'd not be scorned for seeking her goodwill any more. It is not I who hate you. It is you who hate me. Wept <laughs> Kathy, no longer disguising her trouble. You hate me as much as Mr. Heathcliff does and more. Well, why do you think he hates you? I would hate you too. In fact, I'm not that fond of you right now. But of course he hates you. Because you're terrible. You've been terrible to him from the beginning. And for you to brush that aside hardly sounds like you're repenting your sauciness. As Mrs. Dean generously said... I hardly think you've repented at all. I think what you're trying to do is brush it under the rug, pretend it never happened. Well, Hareton holds a grudge, and why shouldn't he? I hold a grudge, too, because you've been awful. You know, I don't like awful people, and I particularly don't like awful people when they don't admit, hey, I was awful, let me try again. We've all been awful in our time. But hopefully, we have learned, as adults, to, uh, to truly repent our sauciness. And I'm, I've seen no evidence of that from Kathy Jr. In fact, this whole merrymaking with Hareton really seems informed primarily by self-interest. You're bored and you're lonely, and he's the only dude around. You know, the only person your age within, who knows, four or five miles at Gimmerton. So you're trying to make up, but you're not, you know, there's no truth and reconciliation here. That's what we need, a little truth and reconciliation committee. Mrs. Dean can preside on it. Uh, and that's it. It's not much of a committee, but you know what I'm saying. Anyway, let's take a quick break. Back in a moment, here on Obscure.
back on the biscure. You're not trying to figure out what's what. Why Kathy Jr. suddenly has the hots for Hareton? I mean, hots might be too strong a word, but, you know, it's building to that. And Hareton, who is emerging as, uh, you know, a good dude, sort of, is correctly, steadfastly refusing to yield to her entreaties. And I don't blame him. I would probably do the same. It's going to take a heck of a lot more than that before I turn my face from the fire and give you the what for. I guess giving you, uh, he is giving her the what for, but a, a positive kind of what for. I don't know if there's a phrase for that, but there should be. The what five. It is not I who hate you, it's you who hate me. That's what she said. You're a damn liar. Began Earnshaw. Why have I made him angry? By taking your part then, a hundred times, and that when you sneered at and despised me, and go on plaguing me, and I'll step in yonder and say you worried me out of the kitchen. I didn't know you took my part, she answered, drying her eyes, and I was miserable and bitter at everybody. But now I thank you, and beg you to forgive me. What can I do besides? Okay, well that's, that. there you go. Well that's the first true moment of repentance that we've seen. I thank you and beg you to forgive me. She returned to the hearth and frankly extended her hand. He blackened and scowled like a thundercloud and kept his fists resolutely clenched and his gaze fixed on the ground. Catherine, by instinct, must have divined it was obdurate perversity and not dislike that prompted this dogged conduct, for after remaining an instant undecided, she stooped and impressed on his cheek a gentle kiss. Well, can you imagine, for a moment, being Hareton Earnshaw, treated like shit from the go, dead father brought up by this imperious, unforgiving, steel rod of a man who's done everything in his power to make you miserable. Joseph, you know, his only companion, really, and Joseph's a dick. And then, in this moment, to be shown kindness by a former object of affection for the first time, to feel the warmth of a woman's lips on your cheek, what must that do to a person? I would think a lot, you know? I would think that would go a long way towards thawing me. But, you know, I, 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 even, even so, I, I would be so reticent. I would feel like this is just another trick. This is just another practical goof that the good Lord above is playing on my, on my blighted existence. Let's see how Hareton reacts. The little rogue thought I had not seen her. And drawing back, she took her former station by the window quite demurely. I shook my head reprovingly, and then she blushed and whispered, Well, what should I have done, Ellen? He wouldn't shake hands, and he wouldn't look. I must show him some way that I like him, that I want to be friends. Whether the kiss convinced Hareton, I cannot tell. He was very careful, for some minutes, that his face should not be seen. And when he did raise it, he was sadly puzzled where to turn his eyes. Well, that's that sounds right. That feels like a, a good, honest piece of writing 
does it not? Hirton did not want anybody to see his face in that moment. Do you think maybe a, a tear rolled down that rough cheek of his? I like to think so. It's a that had that that's a that's like a magic potion for him, that kiss. Some some elixir that is gonna melt his heart. And then he finally looks up from the fire but doesn't know where to put his eyes. Catherine employed herself in wrapping a handsome book neatly in white paper and having tied it with a bit of ribbon and addressed it to Mr. Hareton Earnshaw, she desired me to be her ambassadress and convey the present to its destined recipient. And tell him if he'll take it, I'll come and teach him to read it right, she said, and if he refuse it, I'll go upstairs and never tease him again. So she's laid down an ultimatum. Oh, come on now. Now now, now, now they're just doing construction outside. So now I do have to close the window. So let me walk over to the window here. You know, you don't hear a lot of this kind of commotion. But there we go. It's not good. And, and I suspect even closing the window here will not uh, totally get rid of the sound. No, not, not even really a little bit. But, you know, that's what it's like here in the Eternal City, you know? It's nothing but sirens and sounds and people going, Mamma Mia, and the whole thing. I did, I have heard a few people say, Mamma Mia, uh, out on the street. And, and I always think to myself, oh, they're just doing a bit, you know, for my benefit. But I don't think so. I don't, I don't think they are. I think that's, I think that's something people actually say. And, oh, it's a delight, is it not? I moved to another room. Hopefully this will be a little bit more quiet. All right, so let us pick up again. I carried it. So now Mrs. D, she's laid down an ultimatum. She's saying, look, gave it my best shot. I gave you a little kissy. Uh, 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 il bacio, il bacio, or maybe it's la bacia. I don't know. Bacio, kisses is bacci. I don't know what uh, single kisses, either it's bacio or bacia, but who knows? Anyway, so she's laid down an ultimatum. Look, I'll leave you alone, kid, if that's what you want. I'm trying my best here. I'm begging for forgiveness. I'm giving you a book. Let's start again, huh? Let's be friends. I carried it and repeated the message anxiously watched by my employer. Hareton would not open his fingers, so I laid it on his knee. He did not strike it off either. I returned to my work. Catherine leaned her head and arms on the table till she heard the slight rustle of the covering being removed. Then she stole away and quietly seated herself beside her cousin. He trembled, and his face glowed. All his rudeness and all his surly harshness had deserted him. He could not summon courage at first to utter a syllable in reply to her questioning look and her murmured petition. Say you forgive me, Hareton, do. You can make me so happy by speaking that little word. He muttered something inaudible. And you'll be my friend, added Catherine, interrogatively. Nay, you'll be ashamed of me every day of your life, he answered. And the more, the more you know me, and I cannot bite it. So you won't be my friend, she said, smiling as sweet as honey and creeping close up. I overheard no further distinguishable talk. But on looking round again, I perceived 
Two such radiant countenances bent over the page of the accepted book that I did not doubt the treaty had been ratified on both sides, and the enemies were thenceforth sworn allies. So, it's uh, here's an interesting turn of events, literarily speaking, let's say, because I would say this... This feels like kind of the first honest male-female relationship that the, that the book has presented to this point. I mean, there haven't been many, you know, and, and, and most of them caught up with Heathcliff and all of his stuff. But now you've got a kind of gentleness here and a, and a delicacy that we have not really seen before. And it's warming me to the book and wishing there had been more of this throughout. Because she says, and you'll be my friend. And he says, no. Not because he does not desire it, but because he knows he will shame her. And the better she, get, he, she gets to know him, the more uh, of his own wretchedness she will uncover. And he cannot risk that. And then she nuzzles a little bit closer as if to say, I, I want to know you more. And it's not overwritten. It's not overly dramatic. It's just kind of a lovely moment there by the fire as they bend close to each other to puzzle out this book. That being said, I do, I do think uh, his forgiveness comes a little bit easily, although you know he's he's you know he's a he's a he's a potted plant that hasn't been watered. Wouldn't wouldn't you search out that which provides even a drop of proper hydration? Of course you would. So she pours a little water on him, and he starts to he starts to blossom. Well, of course he does, you know. But he's so fragile if 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 she ever turns against him it'll just kill him and i hope she knows that it won't kill her she's made of tougher stuff in some ways the work they studied was full of costly pictures and those and their position had charm enough to keep them unmoved till joseph came home he poor man was perfectly aghast at the spectacle of Catherine seated on the same bench with Hareton Earnshaw, leaning her hand on his shoulder, and confounded at his favorite's endurance of her proximity. It affected him too deeply to allow an observation on the subject that night. His emotion was only revealed by the immense sighs he drew as he solemnly spread his large Bible on the table and overlaid it with dirty banknotes from his pocketbook, the produce of the day's transactions. At length, he summoned Hareton from his seat. Take these into the master laid, he said, and bide there. I was going up to my own room. This hoil's neither mensful nor seemingly for us. We mun side out and search another. Interesting, I... I, I, want, I want to get this right, because it speaks to Joseph's uh, motivations and, and, and internal life. Take these into the master, lad, and wait there. I'm going up to my own room. 
This house is neither proper nor seemly for us. We must get out and seek another. Well, Joseph, who has remained steadfast in the employ of Mr. Heathcliff, lo, these many years, and we don't know how many years, but we can imagine it has been many, is now saying this place is, is not safe for us. It's not, this isn't what we need. We need to move somewhere else, you and I, Hareton. And now for the first time, we get an inkling into Joseph's true inner life. Remember, he's basically raised Hareton, you know, and raised him in his own image. Gruff, harsh, somewhat sanctimonious, but we didn't really, I didn't really appreciate the depth of his feelings for Hareton until this moment. He's willing to throw away everything in his life, meaning Wuthering Heights and his employment, etc., to retain his relationship with his, let's say, foster son, you know? And it makes me feel kind of bad for Joseph in this moment. Because Joseph can't change, you know? Joseph's just going to be an old so-and-so no matter what. Pitiless Bible thumper no matter what. Now, uh, the Bronte sisters, their dad was a, was a minister. And, you know, the only religious person in this book is Joseph. And he's presented as a, as a tyrant. Just a thought. I don't know anything about the Brontes' relationship with their papa, but, uh, you know, something to think about, something to chew over. All right. Uh, take these, and then I said, and then she says, uh, Come, Catherine, I said, we must side out too. I've done my ironing. Are you ready to go? It is not eight o'clock, she answered, rising unwillingly. Hareton, I'll leave this book upon the chimney piece and I'll bring some more tomorrow. Only books that you leave, a small talk into the house, said Joseph. Said Joseph, and it'll be Mitch if you find him again, so you must please yourself. <laughs> Fucking hell, I hate Joseph. Any books that you leave, I shall take into the house, and it'll be a miracle if you find them again, so you may please yourself. So, he's saying, hey, you know, do what you want with these with this pornography that you've got laying about. But if I see it, it's going in the bin, lassie. And don't kid yourself. That's where it's that's where it's going. Kathy threatened that his library should pay for hers, and smiling as she passed Hareton, went singing upstairs. Lighter of heart, I venture to say, than ever she had been under that roof before, except perhaps during her earliest visits to Linton. The intimacy thus commenced grew rapidly, though it encountered temporary interruptions. Earnshaw was not to be civilized with a wish, and my young lady was no philosopher and no paragon of patience, but both their minds tending to the same point, one loving and desiring to esteem, and the other loving and desiring to be esteemed, they contrived in the end to reach it. You see, Mr. Lockwood, it was easy enough to win Mrs. Heathcliff's heart. But now, I'm glad you did not try. The crown of all my wishes will be the union of those two. I shall envy no one on their wedding day. 
there won't be a happier woman than myself in England. End of chapter 32. So, I like getting the backstory, I'll say that. You know, we last week I said I wasn't happy with the way these things had so neatly engineered themselves into a satisfactory resolution. Satisfactory, I mean, for the parties involved, not necessarily for the reader, myself. But, um, you know, this week I'm feeling a little bit more generous towards Ms. Bronte and her creations as we hear the full backstory of how what came to transpire transpired. Again, it's a little facile, you know, it happens a little quick. There is not the, um, we're not seeing the troubles and turbulations that exist between student and pupil, although there certainly is something familiar in that sentence, uh, you know, the one of them just looking to esteem the other to be esteemed. It, it calls to mind Hardy and the way he presented the relationship between uh, Jude Foley and what's-her-face, not Arabella, the one he actually loved, who, you know, and these, these, these literary women who want to be esteemed compared to the men who it seems like they do want to esteem. I'm thinking now of the creature, Big Buddy. What did he desire in life that Frankenstein should construct for him a partner, somebody for him to love, i.e. esteem, but he does not desire necessarily to be esteemed. He just wants a place to put his gentleness and his affection. It does not speak very much of needing it uh, particularly returned, although I guess he sort of expects that if he is to esteem another, he would hope for it to be returned. And this seems to be the same case here in Wuthering Heights. Hareton himself, a creature looking to deposit his love and probably had thought to himself, that is impossible. Nobody could love me. And every indication in his life to that point had certainly offered proof of that hypothesis. But now Kathy Jr. comes along and threatens to upend his entire model of reality for the better, you know. And good old Mrs. Dean reveling in the happiness of both because we know Mrs. Dean, you know, she's a softy at heart. She just wants folks to be happy. Their happiness supports her own. So we'll leave it there. Good tidings springing out all over Wuthering Heights. We still have yet to learn exactly the fate of Mr. Heathcliff, unless I just forgot. Did I just forget? I think I did, maybe. What happened to Heathcliff? Wait, where's Heathcliff? I think, I, I think they... I think he just died so sort of quickly that I, maybe I forgot how it happened. Uh, but he died. Anyway, he's dead. And, uh, which is weird. It's weird that the, that the death of Heathcliff receives such scant attention in this book, considering he was the chief antagonist this entire time. But, uh, ding dong, the witch is dead, etc., etc. Uh, love is springing out. Love is in bloom. Everybody's happy except for Joseph. And, uh, you know, Fuck them. That's what I say. Fuck them. We'll leave it there. 
on another, and we'll and we'll and we'll pick it up on another sanguine episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. I should say arrivederci. I wish you arrivederci. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedrin. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Ian Black. And get even more obscure content at our site, patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Thank you for listening.